conducted at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. These last couple of weeks, if you haven't been tuning in to this uh, Sunday morning program, I've been looking at what in the tradition is called the basis for meritorious action. It's kind of a mouthful. But what that means is happiness is lawful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that should perk our interest because it's interesting how often in life, maybe you notice this in yourself, how often, and it could be a chronic habit for some of us, we gravitate to a sense of helplessness. Like, I'd like to be happy. I'd like to feel at ease in the world, in my life, with the conditions that I'm actually experiencing. But I feel helpless. Like, I feel like what actually determines my happiness is, maybe we'd call it external. It's happening to me. I'm just a victim of circumstance. And I feel helpless. And I don't like that. But we start to get identified with the idea that we are helpless. And so at least we have one thing. We have the identification with being helpless. Now, clearly, there, are, there is a lot that moves in our lives that we're not in control of. And things like poverty or being abused or mistreated in some way or getting sick or you know any number of difficult experiences are going to be impactful. But the, the question is, are we willing to be open to the possibility that how I relate to the circumstances, good circumstances, really bad circumstances, matters? And actually matters a lot. Doesn't mean this other stuff doesn't matter, like that it's cold, or that it's hot, or that I'm sick, or that I'm healthy, or that I'm being mistreated, or that I'm being respected. But all that matters but how the mind relate, how the mind understands, the kind of meaning our mind is constructing about myself, about my life, that also matters. And it matters a lot. And a lot of people, you know, there's just this habit, it's a way of, I think, avoiding responsibility for our life. We kind of turn things into a zero sum. Well, if I don't have perfect control, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give up all my responsibilities because I don't have perfect control. You know, I could do my best and still get cancer, or I could do my best and still lose my job, or yeah. But doing our best means cultivating a kind of heart that can actually functionally exist in a world of uncertainty, because that just so happens to be the world we exist in. <laughs> so we want, that's the kind of heart we want to cultivate, the kind of understanding, right? We want an understanding that's actually useful in the world we exist in. We are vulnerable. There is tremendous uncertainty in our lives, even if you've had a good run of health, of being liked, of being treated well, of having some success, there's no guarantee. We forget that until, you know, it happens to us or happens to somebody close to us where things can pivot in people's lives suddenly. It happens all the time. It's a little disconcerting, so we tend to ignore it. Or we tend to have stories where they must have deserved. 
the cancer that they got or the job loss that they experience or whatever. You know, it's just funny how we, you know, it's in Buddhist terms, it's a real misuse of the idea, the teaching on karma. Well, this person must have deserved it. All karma means doesn't mean, I mean, yeah, maybe in some superficial sense it could be interpreted that way, but what karma really means is that there's a, that this life, reality, is conditional, it's lawful. So, cancer may come, we know it's lawful. I may not know all the intricacies of the reasons, the causes for cancer or for job loss or finding the one, my spiritual beloved, or, you know, whatever good or bad happens to us, we can be pretty sure it's lawful without knowing all the intricacies of the causes and conditions that led up to this being the way it is. And we can trust the conditionality. Like, it's not an affront to say it can't be other than the way it is. Like, we may not like the fact that there's a war in Ukraine, or there's poverty here, or there's oppression there. It's not an affront to say it's lawful. That doesn't mean it should be that way. It just means that given the ignorance, given everything that's in motion, well then of course things are like this now. Given the greed, given the hatred, given the ignorance that's in play in all of our minds collectively, well of course it's like this now. The world this mind, this family. And it's not just, you know, what's in play isn't just kind of the qualities of our hearts and minds, it's also all the other forces of nature that are in play, interacting. So wanting things to be other than they are, that's just a squeeze on our heart. Being curious about when I live, as I do, in a world that is uncertain and lawful, what is the skillful way to participate in that dynamic, the, you know, of causes and conditions? And that, you know, what the Buddha came to understand that the most important way to participate in our lives, as they actually are, not idealistically want them to be, is the attitude or the understanding through which we relate to the circumstances moment by moment, that attitude, that understanding is impactful. And it's always in play. Like even if in one moment I'm relating to my experience with a lot of ignorance or a lot of greed or a lot of hatred and frustration, doesn't keep me in the next moment from realizing, oh, this is not a useful way to be relating to my experience right now, just making things worse. Maybe I'll relate with more kindness or more contentment or more forgiveness or more fierceness or more renunciation or more clarity and receptivity and humility and interest, right? Because the way we're relating, the way we're understanding, the kind of meaning we're making up is very impactful in terms of how things unfold for us individually and collectively. 
And so then when we get a teaching that I've been talking about these last three weeks, and you can always go to the YouTube channel if you want, if you didn't hear the talk on the 18th and on the 25th. I've been talking about the three bases of meritorious actions, right? Dana, Sila, Bhavana. So those three Pali words, that's the language spoken around the time of the Buddha. So the teachings are recorded in our tradition, in the early Buddhist tradition, in, in that language. Dana means the circle of freely giving and receiving. So there's, it, it's really sensing the absence of stinginess in the heart as we're relating to our experience in life. We don't, we mistrust stinginess and trust living in a generous way and with a capacity of letting go of renouncing, capacity to be content with what we have, which is the opposite of stinginess. And that this is something we can directly investigate. It's not about like repressing our habit of being stingy. It's more helpful to, when we notice we are being stingy and controlling and holding, just look, just observe in a kind of ongoing way, like what is that set of motion? How's that working for me? Who do I become? When, when I uh, identify with stinginess and act it out in different ways, who am I becoming? Like what is that set of motion in me and around me? And the opposite, like when I'm relating in that more generous, that sense of giving and receiving, that circle, really in our relationship with our lover, in our relationship with kids or parents or family or community, work, and we were relating, we're aware of the circle of receiving and giving. It's always alive, and we're trying to inhabit that circle of giving and receiving in a joyful, frictionless way, not a tight way, not a business like like manipulative, how much, who's going to win, competitive, like, will I get the better deal, or this person I'm interacting with, are they going to get the upper hand? Which is often, even in our love relationships, we're often, I notice this in my marriage (coughs) at times, you know, just like, being strategic, like a hardcore business negotiation. Okay, how much am I willing to sacrifice here? I want to be. I don't want to be duped. You know, I don't want to be taken advantage of. My niceness taken advantage. You know how that we get that way in, in our relationships. I mean, this is how we operate even at the center because you know we don't charge for programs and yet. You know, we have to support the teachers and our paid staff and the buildings and all the normal expenses of a small nonprofit. You know, but we are, we invite people to come into a relationship. You, will you figure out how to, what's a healthy, enlivening relationship, right? Just like those of us who teach here or work here, we have to practice giving freely. Because you know how it is. There's a new phrase about people at work but not really working. I forget what it is. Anybody remember? You know, where you're, you're sort of like... Quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, yeah. Just a new word in the last couple of years. You know, where you're basically going through the motions but not being very productive. Um, and so, but that's not a very uh, pleasant way to have a job, right? 
or to have a life or have a marriage or to have a relationship with a sibling or a kid, one of your children or whatever it might be, where you're like grudgingly being the parent, you know. It's like we're that way sometimes with our pet, like we really don't want to deal with the litter box or whatever it is until it's like absolutely have to. <laughs> You know, and then and then we do it grudgingly, you know. And it's like, well, that yeah, that's an option for us in terms of being in relationship with the cat or the dog, or. But how does that work for us? That stingy way of living, as opposed to to be happy, to be generous about cleaning the litter box. Like, yeah, that's one thing I can do for you, and I can either do it in a grudging way, or I could do it in a generous way, like I, it must be nice for a beast that is really sensitive to smell, to have a place to pee and poop, that feels a little bit more like your little spot under the bushes there, where, you know, whatever that instinct is about hiding their poop and pee, but that's just less stressful. Obviously, you can just observe them. You can see how much happier they are and how hesitant they are when they go in a litter box that's stinky and dirty. Or washing out the water bowl. I mean, so there's literally almost maybe infinite places in our ordinary daily life to practice generosity and to practice stinginess and to learn, is it right what the Buddha says that this is a guaranteed way to make my heart lighter and happier and more free by orienting, choosing to be relating to absolutely everything I relate to moment by moment in a generous way. I mean, I always say this just because it makes it so obvious, but, you know, if we told you that we hid, you know, 10,000 gold coins in the building and they're up for grabs, you'd bring some real interest to finding them, right? And it's the same way if the Buddha or a wise person says, you know, stinginess doesn't really work as a way of relating. Generosity really works as a way of relating, guaranteed, it will make you happy. A lot more happy than finding a handful of gold coins, as nice as it would be to have that extra money. We know a lot of people with extra money who are not very happy. And a lot of people with not so much money that are doing pretty good in terms of happiness. And the same with moral sensitivity. That's the second, that's sila. Sometimes it just gets translated as morality, but you know, that's a bit of a, that word is a bit of a setup for us. But it's really this valuing of non-harming. Like, instead of grudgingly reflecting on like what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, and what I'm doing, is that causing anybody harm? Oh, I guess I, I should pay attention to what I buy and whether the people who made it are working in a factory where they're being abused or whether it's causing harm to the earth. I don't want to deal with all those details. You know, that's the attitude in our mind. But we could have another attitude like, I really want... I feel enlivened when I pay attention uh, about how I'm relating and whether that might be causing harm. That makes me happy. And ignoring, like, 
thinking that it doesn't matter like when I cut somebody off on the highway because I don't like the way you're driving or whatever. You know, we might do that might cause harm or be a little bit harsh with our speech or practice some gossiping or cheat a little bit in our taxes, you know, well, I don't really need to report that. And, you know, just all the ways that we justify stealing, sort of, you know, whether you may not define it as stealing or taking what's not really ours or... And just, that, again, just like, look, well, how does that work for me? as opposed to like really caring about all the reverberations of our thoughts, our words, and our actions, and whether they might cause harm. And this is especially interesting around privilege, and because, you know, it's not so easy for us to, we don't, you know, as humans, I think it may be universal, you know, it's uncomfortable for us to um, reflect on privilege, like, that we, some of us, to some degree, relatively speaking, have it pretty well. Whether it's related to, you know, our place of birth and parents, or the color of our skin, or gender, or whatever it might be, good luck about some things. So the question is, like, uh, when I have some personal power for whatever reasons, what am I going to do with it? <laughs> Try to hold on. My power, my privilege, you know, give it all away. What do we do? And, and the thing is, ignoring it, it's fine, that's one possibility, but we want to ask, how does that work for us? Pretending I don't have power, pretending I deserve the power that I have, or whatever we might, whatever way we're relating to the privilege, the resources, the whatever we have, the Buddha's not telling us, bad, you've got money. No, the Buddha wasn't that way around wealth or privilege. He was just, get interested. How are you relating to it? What is that setting in motion in your heart and in the world? How does that feel, what you're setting in motion? What's another way to relate to it? Is there a better way to relate to it? It's really pragmatic in this way. So that's the thing, that's the second place to explore. Generosity and then this place of moral sensitivity. What do we do, given that we live in a world where we're unavoidably stepping on each other's toes, we're in a world where life eats life. Talk about a setup. So what do we do about being in a world where life eats life? You know, it's interesting, I'm, and I'm not... You know, I, I'm pretty much a vegetarian, have been for decades, but I, I'm not kind of advocating that. But it's just interesting as a reflection how people tend to put themselves in one camp or the other. Oh, I eat meat, or I don't eat meat. As opposed to, well, you know, how much meat do I eat? You know, every choice matters. And it's like, but we don't want to be, we feel like it's a burden when we go shopping, like, do I really need to be sensitive to how I shop for food, how I shop for clothes? It feels like a burden, but we might be able to turn that around where it's really the activity of compassion. It becomes something enlivening. 
every little, yeah, so maybe one day a week I won't have meat, and I'll offer that as a compassionate act to the animals that I'm eating. And instead of being like a, a heavy guilt in our heart, maybe that could be an upliftment, like we feel good about that. Oh yeah, I can minimize my harm, my footprint, you know. Same thing with, you know, whatever we might do to um, have less impact on global, I mean, on the climate change, you know, whatever we might do. Oh yeah, I'll spend a little bit of money to insulate my house better, you know, and I'll feel good about that like taking care of myself, taking care of our world. I could say this to this person, but it's not really their fault. It's the company they work for, you know, but I want to really vent. But I know it's not them, so I'm going to refrain from acting out my frustration with the situation because I don't want to cause harm. So I'll find another way to deal with my frustration than complaining to the customer service person or something like that. And then again, the question, it isn't about a should, oh, you should be good about this stuff. Santa Claus is watching, whether you're naughty or nice. It isn't about that. It's like we're doing it as a way of cultivating happiness for ourselves. So in a funny way, it's selfish to be good. That's how we know, like... This is very important in Buddhism that morality is something we know directly. It's not imposed from outside. We observe it right here in our own heart, you could say, or experience. The consequences of being neglectful of harming others versus cultivating a moral sensitivity. That's really what sila means valuing non-harming. So we're cultivating a sensitivity to all the ways we might otherwise be unconscious about how we're participating in others, ourselves and others being harmed. Oh, this way I'm talking to myself right now, I'm causing myself harm. So even how we're causing ourselves harm, it's not just about other people. It's about everybody matters, including how we're treating ourselves. I don't want to cause harm. I feel ennobled. I feel enlivened. I feel uplifted when I value non-harming. And the question is, is that true for you? And then what are we going to do about it if it is true? Like how are we really going to cultivate moral sensitivity in our lives? Around how we shop, how we speak, how we interact, how we consume, and again, not like, oh, i got to be good, but, oh, this is a direct, pragmatic way to cultivate happiness in my life. And then the, the last of the three bases of meritorious action, and it's very much, as I mentioned last week, related to the Buddhist teachings on the three wholesome and the three unwholesome roots, kusala and akusala. You could even translate that as healthy and unhealthy, wholesome, unwholesome, skillful, unskillful. So the unwholesome roots, greed, hatred, and delusion, disconnection, denial, right? 
three wholesome roots, non-greed, which we've been talking about today, dana, uh, this circle of giving and receiving freely, kind of participating in that circle of interconnectedness, you could say, where we don't, you know, it doesn't make sense to take, to be a pack rat, a pack rat, you know, because it isn't pleasant to be miserly, you know. It's not even about like, you know, yeah, of course we want to survive, you know, we don't want to starve or... But if we really pay attention in this balanced way, we're not really happy. Like if everybody was starving and I had my stash, that would only be satisfying if I was completely disconnected from what was going on. If I opened my heart, if I relaxed and connected with reality, it wouldn't feel good being in my little place with my stash. As complicated as it would be to figure out how to share this, right? Just the same thing, you know, all of us have, hopefully have some resources, financial and otherwise. We're already in this predicament of figuring out how much I keep and how much I share. I mean, and if your strategy is to be oblivious to the fact that you have something to share, that then it's still the question is, how's that working? And if you're somebody who feels really guilty about having money in the bank and you immediately give it away in a way that disrupts your life, then you should ask, how's that working for me? Not to have savings for a rainy day or not to be saving for retirement. And that maybe you have a lot of anxiety because you have a lot of anxiety, you mistreat your cat or whatever, you know, because we're not taking care of our own needs. We're not, we're listening maybe to those cries but not to the cry of our own heart. Hey, honey, I need some security here. And there's obviously no, it's not written like how we should handle all this stuff. And what the Buddha says about it is, don't try to figure out, figure it out like, oh, this is the answer. You know, I tithe 10% and I keep 90. You know, it's like, now I don't have to think about it. It's like learning to inhabit that uncertain space. Like, Because then our alternative is, I'm going to feel my way through. I'm going to cultivate sensitivity around harm, around giving, and sensitivity too in terms of how much, this is the third one, bhavana is the Pali word, you sometimes gets translated as mental or the cultivation of the heart, mental cultivation. It's like how much energy in our life do we devote to developing the muscles of our mind, like the capacity to be present, stable, clear, continuity of awareness. Because it's either we cultivate that habit to be able to be present, right? Because we can like the idea of being present, but we'll still be scattered and distracted and you know, what is that? Squirrel! <laughs> and the attention goes away. And then, you know, the next thing, and, and especially in the world of the internet and social media, it's really endemic, this distractedness. So if we're, if we see the stability of presence 
as a direct and immediate cause for happiness and well-being for ourselves and those around us, then we got to put in some time. Like we got to sit in the morning or you got to get yourself to common ground or a place like common ground. You have to value it. You have to do your best during daily life to remember the capacity and the possibility of being present with your experience. Oh yeah, it's like this now. You have to care about that. It's got to get to the top of our priority list, like to learn how to be present more and more and more and more in our lives. Otherwise we won't, it won't happen. The same with all three of those, right? We have to understand dana, sila, bhavana, generosity, moral sensitivity, and this presence, this stability and continuity of present moment awareness matters. It is the direct, most powerful way to uncover happiness for ourselves and those around us. More than, I mean, as important as it is to figure out how to earn a living, it doesn't mean we neglect that. It means actually we use those three things, we cultivate those three things in this, when we are figuring out our livelihood, figuring out how we're going to belong in community and have relationships and, you know, maybe a family or whatever, however we manage that need to, to belong, to be in connection with others and how we take care of our body. These three, you know, generosity, moral sensitivity, presence, the reason there are direct and an immediate cause for happiness is that they're pragmatic and functional. <laughs> they help us do the pragmatic things that we need to do in life. And they address the deepest, you could say, spiritual needs in the heart, in the mind. But we have to check it out for ourselves. Otherwise, we tend to, either we tend to complicate what we have to do spiritually, well, I gotta figure out what it means to be a not self, you know, empty of self. You know what, because that's a big deal in Buddhism, this whole sense that it's all nature, it's impersonal. But that's not something we figure out when we're cultivating generosity and we're cultivating moral sensitivity and we're cultivating this devotion to being present in that stable and continuous way then we're naturally seeing that my impulse to hit back, I, I learn how to observe that, like you triggered me, I want to, you know, put you down with some words or something, and that impulse arises in me, and because I've been practicing with my moral sensitivity, I see that impulse to harm as being empty of self. If I don't see it being empty of self, I'm going to act it out. I'm going to do that zinger, I'm going to insult you or whatever, put you in your place. But because that impulse arises, and wisdom, because it's been practicing with experience, realizes that's just an impulse, being known, being felt, and it's harmful. It sets in motion harm for myself and others. Oh, I'll just feel what it feels like without acting it out, because I have that capacity just to feel it, because I know it's empty of self. It's just a habit. It's real, but it's not, in a deeper sense, me. Right? I have a lot of abhorrent 
habits. And if you don't know you have abhorrent habits, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> it's really good to know, because then we can see them, oh yeah, that's there. And I can feel that. It's not suppressing. Well, in a sense it's suppressing, but it's not repressing it. I'm not afraid of it. I just realize, yeah, it's just a habit, but it's impersonal, that habit. It got set in motion because of my childhood or whatever conditioning process there was. There had to be some kind of conditioning process. Maybe it's a past life thing. Who knows? We don't need to know. We need to know what's here now arising in me, this impulse to hit back, to insult, to gossip, put someone down. And we need to be able to sense what does that set in motion. And who do I become if I identify with it and act on it? And is that who I want to become? Is that like the character, you know, it's like a dance. You know, do I want to do that dance in my life? The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.